0: All right, well, let's bow our heads for a moment. Let's get started. Father, thank you for uh, just your word and how great it is. Uh, just thankful, Lord, for all that it wants to fill our minds with uh, to root out much of what the world tries to feed us. Uh, we pray, Lord, right now that we would have um, just a solemn assembly uh, of devotion and understanding and, and just uh, focused on all that your word would have. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So if you would, turn open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 17. And <clears throat> I've got all this information up here. I don't know if it's worth pulling all this down or not. But does everybody have down the chiasm that we're looking at right now in the book? Mm-hmm. The chiasm. Mm-hmm. Looking at a chiasm of leadership is where Moses is going. So let me wipe this down real quick. Everybody turn to Deuteronomy 17 and whatever. The whole idea here is that when you come into the land, there are going to be certain parameters to help you govern your existence. Now, right now, being in the wilderness, there is no stability, per se, except for Yahweh himself, and that's fine. He's teaching them reliance upon him. He's teaching them provision that only he can give. He's teaching them that even in a military conflict, he is going to be the answer to their situation. But, whenever we get into chapter 16... And we start in verse 18, if you remember, we dealt with the whole idea of judges in place. That when you put a judge in place, they're going to be ruling over certain matters. They're not to be, um, bribed. They're not to corrupt justice in any way. Instead, they are to speak based on the very principles of how they understand God's word as well. And, uh, especially the whole deal with, uh, wanting to re-erect some of the pagan items that were going to be torn down when they walk into it. We talked about the Asherim or the Ashtaroth, uh, which is considered a a female fertility deity pole, and Lord only knows what in the world it looked like. But being led astray in those types of situations, the judges were to come in and take decisive force. And then when we moved into, uh, let's see here, chapter 17, verse 8, we dealt with the whole idea of the fact that the Levitical priests serve as a supreme court there. So not only were they, remember, the, the Levitical priests were a lot more than just your local meat meat guy. You know, they weren't just the meat market dividing those things up. They're also responsible for conducting worship. They're also the go between uh, of the people and Yahweh. They're the ones who are offering the sacrifices. Uh, they're the ones who are making sure that atonement is made for the people. I mean, there's there's just a myriad of things. Their their responsibility was so huge to the point where they didn't even have an inheritance. And this is why we saw in the past often when you have this festival, when you have this feast, make sure that you're including the Levite would often pair them with the widow and the orphan and the foreigner and those types of things. So what we're picking up now is something that's incredibly interesting. If you know anything about Old Testament history, and this is the place of a king. This is very different. Okay. so we're going to start in verse 14. Let me get some fuel. In chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, deal with the instructions for a king for Israel. And this right here is the pinnacle section. So if we're talking our chiasm going in an A, B, C, B apostrophe, A apostrophe format, this is the central focus of this unit of thought in the chiasm is is the issue of a king. So verse 14, when you enter the land, now notice that's the condition which Yahweh your Elohim gives you and you possess it and live in it. Now, does everybody remember? What's another word for possess?
1: Inherit. Inherit.
0: When you inherit it. It's the whole concept. See, this is why we need to understand the church age concept of inheritance spiritually is derived upon how God has revealed himself physically in relation to the nation of Israel inheritance wise then. And this is why the failure to inherit the land with the first generation is so important because it pictures the Christian who is so consumed with self that they do not they do not receive that double inheritance. So <clears throat> you inherit the land and live in it and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom Yahweh your Elohim chooses, one from among your countrymen, you shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countrymen. Now, there's a lot of stuff that's going on here. Uh, number one, notice that there are two conditions that are brought up in this. The request is... I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me. Did this happen? Nope.
1: Oh, they did eventually.
0: They did eventually. And what did it result in, do we know?
1: Diaspora.
0: Well, eventually way down the, the line. Who was the first human king of Israel? Saul. Saul. And we know that that ended up in a, in a heap of mess, didn't it? It was a dumpster fire waiting to happen. There are all kinds of problems that were riddled throughout his ministry, even from the very beginning. But notice there are two conditions that are put on here. We're going to look at that instance here in a second, what surrounds it. Notice it says, you shall surely set a king over you, verse 15. And here's the first condition. Whom Yahweh your Elohim chooses. No elections. Notice that. God is the one who selects the human counterpart in the situation the second part here, notice that he's from your countrymen. Why? You know, don't
1: want to have somebody who's not Jewish ruling over the Jewish people.
0: Okay, why would that be a problem, though? Because
1: they're going to bring in other junk.
0: Okay, so notice that. The
1: Jews are the chosen people.
0: If the Jews are the chosen people, they're going to bring in all kinds of stuff that's not going to have any bearing upon Jewish people. Someone who is actually part of your people is actually invested with your people. Uh, one of the problems that we have, and this is a reason, and again, man, I hate talking about politics stuff. I really yeah. do. But we talk about the whole thing. We talk about problems with the lobbyists. We talk about people wanting to pass these massive bills, and then everybody's kind of got their own little staple-ons and things like that that are in there to get passed. you know, oh, well, we just need $25 million for this, you know, like it's no big deal. It's a flash in the pan. But one of the things that disturbs that is a lot of people who are speaking into these situations are not doing so in the interest of people that they really represent you actually find out that money has propagated a lot of this conversation and so you don't have any kind of personal uh investment with that how different would it be if instead of waiting for some you know large personality it's been the political ranks forever i mean the first king you know that they brought in was saul God chose Saul. Remember this; it's very important to think about. He's the one who sent Samuel to anoint him. But what if it was a common guy who had spent all of his time with people and 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 was just known as a just a all around a good you. man or woman? What's that? You could have a beer with him. You. you could have a beer with him if you want to say it that way. You know. But I mean, think about it. There's there's a lot to be said about what's personable and really having a lot to do with heart that is involved in a in a in a ruling ministry like this. Now, here's what I want you to do is take your Bibles, maybe put a marker here in some way, and then I want you to turn to 1 Samuel 8. Because 1 Samuel 8 is going to give us a glimpse into what happens here, and it's very important that we understand. It's not that there's a surprise going on that the people would eventually ask for a king. It's the fact that the moment that it takes place, it says something about the heart set of a people, okay? And there's a lot of ramifications that pour from this. So turn over to 1 Samuel 8. says here, start in verse 1, <clears throat> and it came about when Samuel was old, Samuel was the last of the, of the, the judges at that time, I guess we would consider prophets. He says here, uh, when he was old, that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways. Now stop. There's a problem. They didn't pick up with what dad said. They weren't going after the Lord. Now, remember, the reason why we would, we would see this connection that's going on, because in Deuteronomy, doesn't it run from judges to Levitical priest to king? This is the way that the chiasm, sorry, the chiasm uh, plays itself out. I still want to call it that for some reason. But notice here, they did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain. Aren't those, those lobbyists we talked about that they were warned against in their judging? Notice it says here, they took bribes and perverted justice. All things that they were warned about from chapter 16, verse 18 to chapter 17, verse 7 in Deuteronomy. Everything they were warned about. These guys are involved in. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, behold, you've grown old. And Samuel said, thanks a lot, guys. (laughs) Right? And number two, your sons do not walk in your ways. Now pause for a second give the elders of Israel some credit that they're noticing that things are messed up here. I love the fact that they don't blame Samuel for it, which is very interesting, but they also recognize that we're moving on. We've got to get somebody, that we're going to have a solution that's going to move on with us. And so he says here, now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. Now immediately you look at that and you're thinking, man, that kind of makes sense. They're
1: going out from, out of the frying pan into the, fire cuz they're they're recognizing that the leaders that are uh, that are going to be over them are corrupt. Yeah. But then they're asking for a king that God told them Yeah. that they're not supposed to have anyway.
0: Well, here's another thought about this. Why didn't they ask for another judge? they wanted to be like the other nations. Oh. It's Did the, the other nation fantastic. It makes you wonder if the other nations had judges. See, well, this is what everybody else is doing, Mm -hmm. so let's do this. Now, we can't discredit that mindset because Deuteronomy 17 tells us they're going to move in this direction. When you come into the land and you appoint a king, when you ask for a king like the nations, we get it. If it
1: was a when.
0: Exactly. It's going to happen at some point. Now, we could probably look at this and say, you know what, In, in the divine omniscience of God Almighty... He understood where the people were going to go in the situation and that they were going to seek to supply solutions. I mean, to me, it seems like their request is noble up front. These sons, they're not working out here. This is terrible. We got to do something. You know, it seems like a noble thing. Justice has been corrupted and they're taking bribes. We've got to, we got to do something to move forward in the right way. Now Look at verse six, because here's the response. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel. Notice that your marginal note there, evil. This was an evil request in Samuel's sight. I don't know about you, I'm going to side with Samuel on this one. He says, when they said, give us a king to judge us, and Samuel prayed to Yahweh. He's so troubled by it, I need direction. Now watch this interchange, it happens because it's very revealing about where Israel got off track and started a lot of their problems. It says here, verse 7, Yahweh said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. Now watch how this reveals the motives and intents of the heart. For, there's your causal conjunction. They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Stop. What made this request evil?
1: Because they already had a king.
0: They already had a king. They already had a king. You know?
1: And they weren't asking for new judges, or because ours are corrupted, so we need new judges. They're just,
0: yes. We want to be like. Else. Yes. <laughs> Ladies, imagine do this. See what see what your husband does. Well, you can't do this because your husband's sitting here. But but for real, <laughs> think about this. when you when you go home, like be eating lunch with your spouse and say, you know what, I think I'm going to look for a new wife, and just see what they do. <laughs> you think they'd be I offended? Have
1: nightmares about that. You think- <laughs> about people trying to set me up with
0: other men. <laughs> do, you think, do you think that they would be offended, though? Do you think your spouse would be, whoa, whoa, whoa what? Right? I mean, you be you talk about jarred. Mm-hmm. You already have a husband. You already have a wife. Yeah, yeah. But I want one like the rest of the nations. Mm-hmm. I mean, think <laughs> about that. So, So here's what we're finding. Here's what we're finding is, and, and this is very, very serious, the intimacy that could be enjoyed with Yahweh was not being experienced by the people to where their hearts longed for something else. Instead of finding their fulfillment in everything that God wanted to play out for them, you're not going to reach the end of the depths of God's riches and mercy that he wanted to give to them. That's just everything that Deuteronomy is unfolding for them. If you will just keep my commandments and trust me in the situation, there's no stopping what we're going to do and you will have prosperity like you've never known it. I will protect you. The whole idea. No, we need a king kind of thing. So notice... They've rejected me. Samuel, don't take it personally. It's me that they have the issue with and they don't want me. That's the problem. Verse 8. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, and that they have forsaken me and served other gods, little g-gods. What are little g-gods? Do we remember? Demons. They're demons. They're, they're manifestations. They're Elohim. They are manifestations of in some way over these pagan countries to where they've gained control because of their responsibility. And if they manifested themselves in some way, we've had idols derived out of that or whatever. Notice it says here, so they are doing to you also. So let me see here. Um, okay, never mind. I had a marginal note with that, but it doesn't apply to this. Verse 9. Now then, listen to their voice, however. You shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them now this is very interesting and what this shows is it really shows the tender mercy of God I've always thought that it's profound it's a profound Whoa. <laughs> do a
1: dance
0: somebody walk there we go Yeah. sorry it's a motion sensor light uh, so weird anyway <laughs> oh, God. Uh, commercial. I've always yeah, yeah it is yeah, we need to clap on. I've always thought it's an incredibly profound parenting moment. When God gets with Adam at the very beginning, and he says, all the trees you can eat of, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of, for in the day that you eat of it, you will die. How amazing it is that he comes alongside his son, and he lets him know all the freedoms that he has, and he warns him of not just a prohibition, but also the consequences for violating that one thing. It's very interesting. God, in the same way, is is wanting his people to understand the full ramifications of what happened. If you ask for a king and you bring a king in, you don't just get a king. You get a whole entourage that comes with it. And the problem is, is it gets extremely personal and extremely taxing on your people. I mean, think about it. What does God need? Nothing. In fact, that's one of his attributes. We call that the aseity of God. He needs nothing to be who he is. He's not reliant or requiring of anything. He is God, period. Self-sufficient, self-sustaining, needs nothing. What does a king need? Everything. Everything. In fact, if we put a list here, God, blank, king. and We just keep writing on the wall all the way around the room. So here he goes. Verse 10. So Samuel spoke all the words of Yahweh to the people who had asked for a king. And here it is. Remember, uh, look at the end of verse nine again. You shall solemnly warn them. Please, please, please note this and tell them of the procedure uh, of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. I'm going to let you know. It's almost like prophecy. If you get this king, here's what's going to happen. Okay. So he says here, verse 11, he said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. First thing, he will take your sons. Mark it. King's got to have an army, right? Mm-hmm. Pause for a second. Didn't the, king, didn't, didn't the whole nation of Israel take out Og of Bashan and uh, the king of Sion? God did, that. God did it, but didn't he do it through the people? Mm-hmm. How trained were they? I mean, well, we just had some AK-47s back here, so <laughs> we we brought those out of Egypt. They had nothing like that. They were slapping together straw and mud. That's what—that's the training they had to fight. They were, strong. they were strong. They were only strong because Yahweh fought for them. Yahweh is the warrior God on their behalf. Well, notice, the first thing that the king is going to want to do is he's going to want to amass an army. Why can't we just trust the Lord to fight? Yeah, we've already gone down a different direction now. Everybody see, just immediately, this fork in the road becomes very critical. So, Samuel communicating on on behalf of a loving father, lets them know, well, here's what's going to happen. Number one, he will take your sons and he will place them for himself in his chariots. His chariots. Did Israel have chariots before this? Okay, so notice you've got a whole fleet now that's going to have to be put together. And among the horsemen, stop. Did they have horsemen beforehand? No, these are the people who marched around a city seven times and blew a trumpet and everything fell apart. Okay, that's what we're talking about battle strategy. No, no, no. Got to have chariots. Chariots like who? The nations. Got to have horsemen. Like who? The nations. Well, who's serving in their army? Your sons. Your sons are serving in their army. You want to be just like everybody else? Here's the price that everybody else has to pay apart from God. And they will run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties. And some... To do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. Good grief. Look at all these people now. You're like, well, they're creating jobs in our society. Is that really the economic stimulus plan that's going on here? Notice it's a failure to trust God. And so what's going to happen? We'll back up and look at it. Notice that you're going to have people that run before chariots. Verse 12, he's going to appoint himself commanders of thousands and of fifty. So you've got ranks and designations. You're setting up ranks in an army is what it is. Some to do is plowing. Okay, stop. We just stepped into agriculture. Okay. So since the king doesn't have time to plow his own stuff now, somebody else is going to have to get in there and plow. And oh, by the way, when you plow something, you got harvest at the end of it. So now he's going to hire somebody else to come in and harvest his stuff at the end. Maybe they're the same people. Maybe they're not. But what else do we have going on here? Well, they're going to have to make weapons of war. Okay, so I need a lot of blacksmiths in order to get involved. A lot of people who know how to work with metal. A lot of people who are going to be involved in figuring out what are going to be the most effective tools to use in order to win wars. Stop. Isn't God your defender? Why do you need weapons? Isn't it incredible? Notice the next part that he says. Not just weapons. And equipment for his chariots. you got to get a virtual pet boys to come into this place. It's an auto zone now. Well, we got to replace those wheels. Well, we got to shore up those, you know, this piece, this piece, you know, depending on how ornate they were, the gold came off on this one. We got to fix it. Notice the next part, verse 13. He will also take your what? Your daughters. It's not just going to be your sons, it's your daughters. If you want to think about who's going to pay here for this request, it's going to be you. He's going to take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. Cooks and bakers, I can understand. Perfumers, what? What? I picture the person at the mall.
1: Back
0: What's that? They didn't have degree back then. They didn't have degree back then. That's true. Somebody had to be smelling spicy at some point. Okay, so notice we got to we got to use them. So notice the drafting of soldiers and personnel. I need an entourage here. I've got to eat. I need people to harvest. We need weapons. We need armies. We need people to fix stuff. We've got it all. Now watch how it moves in. Verse fourteen. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants because he's the king, right? So he's going to exercise his authority and violate a principle of personal property in order to get what he wants and be guaranteed he's going to take the best. And I say, well, as a king, wouldn't you have the right to do that? Stop. We have a map in the back of our Bibles that talks about how God divided up the land between the 12 tribes, yes? <laughs> Notice that he believes in personal property. This property belongs to this tribe, and you're not to violate that. This is what made the sin of Dan so bad when they found a group of people who weren't bothering anybody, weren't doing anything wrong. They marched in, they slaughtered them all, and they took their land. Did God give them that land? No. And I believe because of that sin is the reason why they are not mentioned in Revelation chapter 7 as part of the 12 tribes. That was such a horrible sin to attack innocent people who weren't there to defend themselves whatsoever and take what was not theirs. So it's important for us to think about, okay, we're dealing with the idea of no personal property going on. He says here, verse 15, he will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. I mean, you got to feed the people you just hired, right? What's the problem with that? And he will take a tenth of these things. What's the because problem? They're
1: with? already the required to give God a tenth and the best of their harvest and, uh, and uh, herds and stuff like
0: that. Notice places. that. Yeah. So
1: not only are they required to give God a tenth of their stuff, they're volunteering, essentially, to give another tenth to their government.
0: Yes. In fact, before we were dealing with this this, uh, chiasm of leadership, what was the section we were dealing with in Deuteronomy? Giving. The tenth. The tithe. And if you remember part of it, saving up your annual so that you would go and you'd be able to celebrate... And have that worship service? Well, there's a tenth that's devoted to God, and that helps supply for the Levite and the orphan and the widow and the foreigner and all those things. But then you've got a tenth for God and for those situations, by no means just because you have a key, uh, sorry, a king doesn't mean that the law goes dormant. Right. Well, now the king's going to want a tenth. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not that great at math, but what are we putting together here? 20% of your income's already gone. And
1: the king's going to want the best.
0: The king wants the best. Mm-hmm. Not only is he taking your vineyards... He's taking more. Interesting. So he, he, he gets your personal property in 14. He decides to do taxes to feed his army in 15. Verse 16, he will also take your male servants. Wait, wait, those are my servants. They work for me. Not anymore. Take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men, not just your men, not just your sons, your best young men and your donkeys, and he will use them for his work in other words he's going to confiscate your private help he's back back in biblical times the family was a business they worked the land they supplied for themselves whatever trade that was going on they made, made sure that they ate and by by trading uh and, and that being their form of commerce when you had children into the family you had an effectual business that was going on there
1: well peter, peter was a fisherman at home
0: yes they were all
1: a family business it was a
0: family business of fishermen. And he partnered with uh, James and John over the situation as well. We find out that later. The sons of Zebedee, they had a fishing business. They were actually called partners or co-workers together. <laughs> Absolutely. So so the, the family was a, was a business is what it was at this time. Well, guess what? The king is now going to mess up your business. He's now infringing upon you more. Notice it's not just about 20%. It's about more and more. And Does this ring a bell with us about anything we're familiar with today? I see some of you like kind of calming back the smirks, but interesting, interesting how the word of God tells us this. Now look at verse 17. It says here, he will then take a tenth of your flocks. Okay. Now, so notice that's another tenth that is taken. It's livestock this time. And you yourselves will become his servants. Now, I don't know that we, if we can compound that and say, well, now we got 30% that's been taken. We're talking about livestock. It's not something he's dealt with before, okay? So no, but, but notice, it's going to caution you your flocks. Verse 18, them, oh, sorry, forgive me. He will. Verse 17, he will take a tenth of your flocks. So there's that. And you yourselves will become his servants. Not only is he going to take your hired help, you're also going to serve him as well. Does it sound like an enslavement situation? Didn't Israel just come out of this a couple generations before? It's terrible. Verse 18, then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you've chosen for yourselves. In other words, you're going to regret the fact that you just became a slave again. Land is freely yours. God will take care of you. He will protect you. He will supply for you divine enablement is upon you and blessing and you're throwing it all away because you want to be like everybody else here it is that's why this was so sorrowful samuel knew samuel understood what the ramifications were so notice the profound regret you'll crowd on that day because of the king whom you've chosen for yourselves but yahweh will not answer you in that day this is the path that you're on nevertheless the people refused to listen to the voice of samuel isn't that just like a child (laughs) <laughs> now, let me, let me tell you. you know, I tell my son. He's always like, oh, I want... everybody seen these Mario Legos that have come out? Mm-hmm. Lego and Mario Brothers got together now there's yeah. Mario Legos and he's yeah. just like, oh my gosh, this is a dream come true. <laughs> right? You know, he's just like freaking out. And they sell these little packs for five bucks. You can get little packs, little enemies or little like coin blocks or something like that. And he's really excited about it. I'm like, buddy, if, if you want to earn some money, won't you come help me fold some clothes? All he has to do is pull a cloth, you know, towel, hand it to me, I fold it, you know, sock, great, you know, I mean, like, we're doing, like, this assembly line kind of folding thing, he does a good job, I give him a quarter, ah, mm-hmm. oh, dad, I'm too tired,
1: mm-hmm. I'm like, you're
0: four, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I, just, uh, I, just, I don't think I want to do that right now, and then we go the story, oh, Lego Mario, Lego Mario, and I love it, because i look at him and like, son, you don't have any money, but why aren't we getting it? We're getting it because we're not getting it because you're broke. (laughs) You know, you're four. And then I explained to him, I gave you the opportunity to earn money and you didn't listen. And So now you don't have any money. Now, I don't know if that's cruelty towards a four year old, but it's teaching them something very sound. You need to work to earn the money for the things that you want. Well, can't we just get it? No my money's not your money you earn your own money kind of thing
1: boy are you an anti-socialist i am
0: but think about this think, think about what's going on in this situation though here's what's going to happen if you go in this direction i don't think i want to fold any close Well, you're not going to have this this and this no it's okay but when it really mattered Even though somebody told us the future, they predicted it with incredible pristine knowledge. Everybody see the lesson? Very painful. So he says here, nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our." battles wasn't that all Yahweh's job notice that Yahweh lost his job is essentially what it is it sounds terrible to say that but it's true verse 21 now after Samuel had heard all the words of the people and repeated them in the Lord's hearing the Lord said to Samuel listen to their voice and appoint them a king so Samuel said to the men of Israel go every man to a city and it moves into the narrative was Saul
1: do you think maybe the people were a little disappointed with Samuel for appointing his sons who turned out to be corrupt so it, why should we listen
0: to you again? I don't know. And here's a reason why is because I, I, I think sometimes we have this perspective when we come into Scripture where we think about that the, adult, that the adult children are a reflection upon the parents that raised them. And I think that we need to have a lot more grace in those types of situations. I think there's one thing to say that as a father... Uh, am I raising my child to know the Lord, to know his word, to teach him how to connect everything in life to the creator, to make him understand the importance of sin and why it's so bad and the, and the grace that comes through Jesus Christ? Absolutely. But I also have to recognize that when he comes of age and when he does something stupid, that's not my fault. That's his choice. But Samuel had the authority to Possibly. Well, if we back up in history for Israel and we ask the question about Eli, Eli and his sons, I mean, women would come to sacrifice in Eli's time uh, and his sons would take those women, they'd have sex with them and send them home. You know, so there's all kinds of corruption that's going on in Eli's situation. Uh, But the child that was given uh, in order to be brought up at that time was Samuel. You know, Samuel's dad was uh, Elkanah and his mom was Hannah. And so they, they, you know, Hannah came and she prayed for a child. She had Samuel at an early age. She consecrated that child to the Lord and left him there with Eli. Samuel came out okay. What were wrong with Eli's sons? So I think there's some grace that needs to be had in that situation because now here's Samuel full grown and old and his sons are having the same issues that Eli's sons had, maybe in a slightly different way, but I'm sure a lot of it paralleled itself. So I, I don't know that we can sit here and just say, you know yeah, the people were real upset with Samuel. I think if that were the case, they wouldn't have come to him and asked for a solution. You know they would have just done it themselves. I think it's interesting that they go to Samuel and they say, "We need you to do this," instead of, "Well, you know, here's what you have. Well, I'm just going to take matters in my own hands."
1: Oh, that's what Corey did.
0: Yeah, that's how a church split happens. Well, we don't like what's going on here, so now we're going to go do this, right? And somebody leads that. They don't come back to the pastor and say, "Hey, this isn't working out well, so how about this?" They don't handle it that way. Somebody decides that they're going to take the initiative and split the body of Christ. And that's how it moves. So I I think we have to have a little bit more grace, maybe a little bit on here. But I think that I still think it's really good for their moral compass to look at that and say it's just not working out. I don't know. If you differ, by all means, correct me. You know, I'm I'm, it's hard to look at this situation without knowing what exactly was going on in their minds. And just, you know, we're, we're just trying to take the text for what it says.
1: A natural Jesus.
0: man just wants to be separate from God i see that Yeah absolutely I don't know they're still calling for a judge But I think the means they're going about is just wrong But I, I mean, mean a, a, a
1: foolish human I'll say against The perfect God I mean you know yeah. They want we, we'd rather they f- f- follow a human than God, I mean, which is perfection, but, you know, our natural selves, we just want to be separate from God. Right.
0: They have also had a pattern through Deuteronomy of, okay, you brought us out of Egypt. Yay! And then, oh, wait, now you sent Moses up the hill, and now, oh, he's never coming back, so now we're going to do this, like we used to do back then. And yeah. now it's, well, we want to do what everybody around us is doing. Yeah
1: pretty much doing anything but what God wants us
0: to do. Well, and here's what's scary is, why was this such a problem? If the children of Israel would have obeyed and Joshua would have led them faithfully? I mean, remember, you read through Joshua and everything's just exploding like fireworks. And you're like, whoa, they're coming in here as a force to be reckoned with and God's doing all this stuff. And then in Joshua 9, some guys dress up weird. We're from a faraway place. Make a covenant with us that you won't kill us. Now, it turns out they're from over the hill. And they know that they're next and they deceive Joshua. And it's very interesting. The text says, and they didn't consult the Lord on this. That's the problem. They didn't bother to ask God. They just did it. And when they didn't ask God about the situation, now you've got a whole group of people who are constantly going to be there and be the thorn in Israel's side because they did not follow the Lord and wipe out the land. Well, it's that influence from the rest of the nations where? In the land that they're dwelling in that have now become that godless influence on them to lead them in that way
1: is that where samaria came from i forget how that came about
0: off the top of my head i couldn't tell you yeah i don't know so let's do this let's turn back to deuteronomy real quick because there's other things about the king that we want to look at now remember this is all this is all beforehand this is all god setting down through moses the divine directive for how a king ought to govern and there's some interesting qualities that are brought up here so notice God chooses him, which he does of Saul. Remember, Samuel goes and anoints. They don't have elections or anything. Saul is from uh, the tribe of Benjamin, so he's part of their countrymen. He's invested. But look at chapter seventeen, verse sixteen of Deuteronomy. He says, "Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself." Now, stop. Why did horses get in this? What does it mean to multiply horses? He might, he might, must not have a lot of horses.
1: Amass an army. Or, or, Notice
0: that. An army. He doesn't need an army. What did Samuel tell him? The first thing he's going to do is take your sons and make an army. You're going to have chariots all of a sudden. He doesn't need an army. What is the first directive for the king of Israel? I don't need an army. Why? Yahweh fights for me. It's a very interesting. All these things here call for humility in this king and complete dependence upon God. So the first thing is, you shall not multiply horses for himself. I don't need an army. Uh, Nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since Yahweh has said, you shall never again return that way. In other words, you're not to go rely on another nation to be your strength. Yahweh is your strength. The king is not to look, well, I'm not supposed to mass a lot of horses, but let's go talk to such and such across the way there, and we'll get them involved. No, do not rely on anybody else. You're going to be dependent on the Lord. Verse 17, he shall not multiply wives for himself. Why was that?
1: One's tr- enough trouble. <laughs> One's enough trouble. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, number one, notice that, notice that through Moses, Yahweh is upholding monogamy. He is sticking with the original design given through Adam and Eve in the garden. This is the way that this is to be conducted. What happens when you get many wives involved? And this isn't a slam against women, but we know from the example that goes on in Scripture. What happened to Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived?
1: He turned away because he married everybody else's wives to, or everybody else's daughters to uh, create treaties. Mm -hmm. He ended up having a place for Moloch. Yes. I mean, that extreme. Yes. And, and of course, he uh, bought all these horses from Egypt too because he had money up the hanging, so yep. I get what I
0: want. Exactly. Molech. He set up an altar to Molech. Does anybody know about Molech?
1: Child burner.
0: Child yeah. burner. Sacrificing your children on a burning hot plate. I mean, it's insane. That's where... Wisest man who ever lived, whom God spoke with on a one-on-one basis, two particular times, communicating... Very, very profound promises to him. I mean, reading Solomon's prayer when they dedicate the temple alone is to make you sit here and go, how could your life get off track like this? Mm -hmm. But guys, it's not any different for us.
1: True wisdom was Josiah.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, with the exception of David, Josiah was probably the most righteous king that Israel ever had or Judah in that situation. But I mean, think about how how messed up this king situation. You had Saul, you had David, you had Solomon. And then after that, what'd you have? Split. You see what I'm saying? I mean, it's just messed up. You shall not have multiple wives for yourself. Why? Or else his heart will turn away. And you write down First Kings 11. That's where it's found. His heart will turn away. His affections. Why? Because they will be loyal to foreign marriages. Because somehow by marrying the daughter of Egypt, I've secured peace with her. Well, where's Yahweh in that? Nope. Stick with one woman and trust God. That's a really good motive for life. How about the next part here? Or is his heart will turn away. Nor shall he greatly increase silver or gold for himself. Uh-oh. The king is not to be rich. Why? What does money do? Corrupts. Corrupts what? All right. Corrupts the heart.
1: It's already corrupt because we're sinful beings.
0: Exactly. So notice the silver, oh, if you if, we'll just give you a little bit of gold so we can get this passed, so we can get this going. Well, why don't you just judge in our favor? I mean, haven't they been talking about how the king is going to judge them in some way? And man, money corrupts. Insane. So notice, he's not to be rich. Okay, wait a second. We got a king who God's going to choose, has to be from the homestead, essentially. He can't have an army. He can only have one wife. And he's not supposed to have a lot of money.
1: Sounds like judge.
0: Maybe. He sounds like one of me. Sounds like one of you. Sounds like one of us. You see what I'm saying?
1: Sounds humble.
0: It sounds humble. There is nothing about him to where he's supposed to be put on a pedestal whatsoever. He is simply a tool that God will use to communicate his purposes. He's simply a leader that is to be submissive before the Lord. How about the next part, verse 18? Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom He shall write for himself, pay attention to this, because this is probably one of the most incredible verses in this section. He shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. Can you imagine if before every president ever took the office, they had to sit down and handwrite the Declaration of Independence? Can you imagine that? They have to have their own handwritten copy. That way you can't say, well, I couldn't read it. That's illegible. No, it's your handwritten copy. Notice that you have to have the people who steward that document involved. The Levitical priests are going to oversee your work. They're going to check your work. Isn't that interesting? Before you can rule, you have to know the law. Now, what did it mean by law? I have no doubt that it probably means the first five books. The first five books of the Old Testament. You've got to know God is the creator. The problem of sin, the promise of redemption, the origins of your history, God's divine deliverance, and the way to maintain blessing amongst your people. You've got to know this.
1: Torah means law in Hebrew. Exactly. Torah
0: means law. Absolutely. You've got to have all of these things down. If you are aware of all of these things and the Levitical priest checked your work to make sure that you didn't stick in little footnotes that provide for you, you're going to rule well. You have to know your God to rule well. Yeah.
1: He's also writing out the law that God gave them and not creating his own new law.
0: Oh, notice that. It's not about getting somebody in there in charge and we've got to come up with some new laws. The law is already given for you. You just uphold what you already have. Man, that's a profound thought for a nation. You just uphold what you already have to move forward. Verse 19, it shall be with him. You know what that means? It doesn't leave. You want to try this sometime? Go the rest of your week between now and next Sunday, and don't ever let your Bible leave your hands. Just always have it with you right there. Don't ever let it leave. Sure, sure, but your phone doesn't count. You've got to have a physical copy. Notice, it shall be with him. It has to be a copy that you wrote, so take it with you. There you go. That's a lot. That's a lot. So notice, it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. Notice he wasn't worried about being educated with all the rich literature of the day. It was that he knew God through his word. That's how you know him. That he may learn to, notice here the benefits, A, fear Yahweh his Elohim, to always conduct himself in respect of the creator, notice this, by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. So I know who God is, and I know what God expects in our relationship of him. That's the A part of the reason why he would want to carry it and meditate on it always. Verse 20 is the B part. That his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen. In other words, he wasn't special. He had authority, but it was a calling. It was a ministry to deploy It wasn't anything to lord over people. Guys, you realize as a pastor of the church, I'm not superior. I'm not an authority over a situation. I have a ministry that God has called me to, to dispense here. And that's it. That's what God, he's called me to to uphold one role in this church. And it's a particular one, but it's just one. It's not that I come in with a gavel in one hand and a sword in the other. It's Mm -hmm. never like that.
1: The king was Mm -hmm. a servant too. The king
0: was a servant too serve alongside one another. He may have one thing that he's devoted to. You know, it's kind of weird. I'm supposed to be devoted to the ministry of the word of God and prayer. That's all I'm supposed to do, period. My job is to sit here uh, and and make sure that I understand God's word and dispense it in such a way as to where I'm equipping you, the saints, for the work of the ministry. That's the divine directive for the New Testament church in Ephesians 4. That's what we're supposed to do. That's how church is supposed to flourish. Well, notice here, the king is not to be lifted up above anybody. He's to walk uh, he's, he's to be walking in, um, uh, to be carefully observing all the words of the law, to be walking uh, with everybody else. According to that, it's, in other words, it's his textbook for how to be a king and notice it has to do a lot more with his life rather than how to rule as a king. His heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, that he knows it without a shadow of a doubt. There is no fudging, uh, the, the, the uh, requirements here. So that he and his sons, now watch this, that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. In other words, faithful obedience will equal blessing and longevity for the king. That's the idea. It's just faithfulness. In fact, if you think about it, the king isn't really called to anything different than anybody else is in Israel. He's just called to fulfill the role of a king. It's not any different. So
1: it would be a face What's that? He's there to be a
0: face. He's there to be a face. He's there to be used of the Lord in a certain capacity. That's it. That's like all of us. That's why we've been given spiritual gifts. That's why we have certain calls to certain ministries. That's why we get involved in helping certain people. That's why we've got the capacity to do some things that other people look at and go, man, there's no way I could do that. That's okay. You weren't called to it. I was. But you weren't, and that doesn't make me better than you, or you less than me, or anything. It means that in God's perfect plan for the body of Christ, I have something to uphold here while you have something to uphold here. And if we uphold them together, we edify the body. Well, notice that's just what this is cultivating here. It's cultivating a situation. Israel's completely separate from what the New Testament church is. Absolutely, they're separate entities. But the whole idea here is that God is cultivating in the midst of this community. The same type of responsibilities. Obedience doesn't change. The idea of needing to be humble doesn't change. The idea of promises and blessing on top of faithfulness doesn't change. I mean, it's pretty profound. So this is what what this uh, chiasm uh, culminates in as far as the pinnacle of what wants to be communicated here. And it's the idea that even when you have a king, a human king, uh, he's, he's still not more. He plays a role, like a judge would, like a Levitical priest would, like the king would. They're playing a role for the betterment of the nation. So, any thoughts or questions before we pray and wrap up here? Any antidotes, homilies, haikus, soliloquies, limericks, palindrome?s What? If you got something, to say it.
1: I'm not saying that uh, that limerick. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> please don't say that to... it's Totally. <laughs>
0: All right. Let's pray. (laughs) Father God, we thank you for the word of God uh, that that calls us to think critically um, about our calling and how we steward ourselves in ministry. And especially to um, consider the fact that we play part of a bigger whole of the body of Christ, uh, knowing that the church is something different from Israel, but seeing that the concepts relate. Uh, Father, if we don't know what our calling is in the body of Christ, I pray, Lord, that that be the forefront of our prayer and that we would be humble in pursuing that and trust you to unfold that for us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody.